You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, hosted on the Line of Sight Podcast Network. Line of Sight is proud to host War Machine University, Brawl Machine, and Fallen Corvus, as well as numerous content creators like Field of Fire, Lightbringers, Brawler Bios, Vicarious Competition, Midnight Monpod, and Charge and Spike. You can find our content at loswarmachine.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 176 of Line of Sight. Notice how I didn't do the Chandler introduction there? I was different pacing and everything i'm here with brett <laughs> jane's in a mood and i love it <laughs> i am in a bit of a mood aren't i yeah i think i think it's just you're not in pain and so you're just so happy to be like that actually yeah because i've been on my feet all day today yeah. and so now that i'm sitting down it's just kind of like oh <laughs> that could be it that could very well be it hmm interesting so yeah so jane's done the whole topic today <laughs> he's very excited about it so yeah yeah, I have. I'm also excited about the topic, so that doesn't hurt. I was actually dreading this in an extreme amount because, first of all, researching lore for the uh, Iron Kingdoms is a freaking nightmare. And second of all, I kept like not having time to do it. And so most of it's been done in the last couple of hours. But, <laughs> but you didn't, have, you didn't have to tell them that. <laughs> eh, I'm all for transparency. Chandler's not here today. Uh, he is camping with his family. So we won't have him. We'll hopefully have him back next week. As far as news goes, the Warcaster Neo Mechanica Kickstarter is on Tuesday next week, which is July 13th. I don't know anything else about it other than like we're getting mini theme force type things kind of. Yep. And there's like a hardcover book. Oh, yeah. A lore book, right? Yeah. And then a, an early word special. Mm. I might actually just go in for the lore book. To be perfectly honest, that'd be pretty cool. The <laughs> art for this game has been very, very good. Mm-hmm. So I, I would not mind having that on the shelf. Other news, uh, theoretically sometime this month, we're getting the Infernal Colossal rules. Yep. Uh, we don't we don't know when, but they will almost certainly be Bahi models then, because if they were regular models, we would see them on the release schedule, which we have not. Right. Other than that, Brawl Machine Team Championship uh, round one will be over in a couple of days here. There's been, actually, can we talk about that for a second? Because there's yeah. some fascinating data coming out of that that I actually oh, really? want to like. Already? Well, we got almost an entire round done. Oh, okay. And so, you know, you think about that. There's 24 teams. That means there's 12, 12 pair-offs and there's three games per. So that's 36, mm-hmm. you know, games, which is not nothing at all. First of all, uh, there is a strong... Um, polarization around my clumpy different little terrain bits things what? some people like okay so one of the maps has two oh. small houses with a little strip of line of sight between them mm-hmm. instead of one big one and then one of the maps is like a bunch of little forests instead of one big forest people either love it or they detest it beyond words <laughs> yeah that's, so, how, that's how change works Sounds yeah right. yep so uh let's go through some just some generic stuff so first of all there is almost a dead even split of scenario and assassination wins. Wow. Which I think is really interesting. This is on Ignition 2, by the way, the new and improved one, which has universally been hailed as better than Ignition 1. Okay, good. 
<laughs> yep, that's we like that a lot. And we uh, also see a fair number of clocks. One, two, three, four, five, six games have eight games have ended in clock, which is surprising to me. But there we go. Uh, the highest amount of victory points or control points scored in a game is nine. Two people scored nine points. Okay. And that's, you know, that's pretty competitive. Their opponents scored, let's see, one opponent scored six. So this one was, uh, this must be a typo, should be 10 and six. Um, and the other, yeah, 10 and six. Oh, it's the same game. So, um, you know, competitive scoring. Uh, army points destroyed. The most of those is, just glancing through this real fast, 61. Which that's a lot is, in a twenty-five point game. Is that a typo? Can you even get to sixty-one? No, because they you get five for the caster. They have thirty-one. That's thirty-six. You get ten. You get ten for the caster. Okay, so yeah. Oh that's yeah. Okay, so it's possible. Yeah, you, all right. You have to kill everything in everything. the caster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't mind that. Um, we also have, interestingly enough. So, do you think that? Going first uh, was chosen more often or less often? Or Uh, about the same? I would guess that going first was chosen more often. Incorrect. Oh, wow. It is almost dead even. What? Yep. Wow. And as we... What? Sorry? What about win rates for going first versus second? I have not tabulated those yet. I'm looking at raw data. So I will will be able to do that after this week. But I think it's fascinating... That about half the time people are choosing to go second. That is cool. Yeah, I'm very very happy about that. Um, kind of, you know, just verifies that the scenarios are pretty good because that never happens in <laughs> 75 <laughs> points. Right. <laughs> uh, so that's you know that's kind of cool. And then also people are finding my very limited feedback on um, Tesla's models. We've only had two death archon games remember how there were 32 Wait. death archons in the tournament yeah. <laughs> apparently all of the lists with the death archons have not been played and most or of the, they, the or two they games the or they just... were in the sideboard um oh actually sorry hold on no that's two because that one's a repeat so yeah basically and the test data or the the feedback is somebody said that they're really really strong and somebody said it was okay so not bad i'll take it all right so that's Brawl Machine Team Championship. Uh, we got Titus Skulls finishing up pretty quick here. We're not going to do any other events in July on our Discord. The TOs, namely me and Nova mostly, and Lance, uh, are either on summer break, running something else, pl- flat out overwhelmed with work, some combination of those things. We're looking at running a Brawl Machine League probably in August. And if not in August, we'll definitely be running some stuff in September. So look out for that. And with that, let's dive into our topic, okay. which is the lore of Warjax. Because what's more iconic in War Machine? Well, and I also did that because I wanted us to do, uh, because Orgoth are coming out. And I know Warjax and Orgoth are very related. Oh, they are. Well, yeah, one, one is the catalyst for the other in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, a patron vote from last month. Um, so the the warcaster tier patrons get to make suggestions and then the warcaster and warjack tier patrons get to vote on those suggestions and uh, this is what they chose they chose a lore topic of the cast choice and a friend of mine suggested warjacks and i was like sure 
And I think there's an accompanying article coming out for Full Metal Fluff on our website that's going to go live soonish around the same time this cast goes up. So you can go read some stuff about them too. Yeah. All right. So, Warjacks. Um, everybody who plays War Machine knows what Warjack is. It's a big metal man that smashes stuff. And their history is fascinating. So we'll talk. I'm going to talk a little bit about the history and I'm going to talk after that. We'll talk a little bit about like the function of them and like how they're constructed and stuff. But uh, the, the format is more or less. I'm going to tell some story and Brett's going to ask some questions <laughs> and uh, we will extrapolate and theorize and headcanon up stuff for you. <laughs> um, the first thing I want to touch on, though, is that the Orgoth invasion, which is where our story is going to start happened thousands of years into what we know about what happened into the in the iron kingdoms uh i'm just going to briefly go back through some of the the points here there was a the age of reason uh called the clockwork renaissance in the iron kingdoms or they weren't called the iron kingdoms at that point but you know the world before that was the reconciliation states yeah imarin yeah you're right western imarin specifically Mm -hmm. um there was the Thousand Cities era, which is like this big era of prosperity and faith, where Menoth was, or the Menite faith was the only one that existed. Inside of that, Thamar and Maro uh, made their own, you know, religions by Maro getting killed by Thamar and Thamar getting killed by Maro and followers and them ascending into godhood. And there's much more nuance to that. And we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about that some other time, but <laughs> it's a cool story. Um, before that, you have you know warlord and tribal eras before that you have the mulgore but before that you have the dragon father before that you have like tons and tons of elven stuff before that you've got um the rulic settlement before that you have the war of souls between the gods like there is so much stuff before (laughs) we get to the orgoth and it's hard to like talk about exactly how far it is because the date systems are a bit confusing and most of the date systems that we use for the Iron Kingdoms now are based off of the Orgoth invasion, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's not, it's like AR, right? Yeah. Yep. So the Orgoth are, first of all, they're the next faction coming out for the game. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are also like, we don't know exactly where they're from. We don't know exactly what they were like. And all we know is that they came to Imarin. They sort of were a unified force that came in and systematically wiped out pretty much every humanish civilization settlement thing. Well, they conquered them, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, conquered them, took over, like yeah. came in, used them as slaves, sacrificed them for rituals of various kinds. And, um, you know, they didn't spread into rule because... Mountains. That was really far inland and, you know, mountains. They didn't, like, really get into the the Iocean eras, areas because they tried to and they all got killed and decided maybe that was not a good idea. And again, far inland from their supply chains. Well, so um, they didn't, didn't Rhett have Colossals at that point? No. Rhett, Cause they, uh, maybe. Because they used them to kill a dragon, I thought. Hmm. Because I, re- I, I remember think the, so. the Hyperion can was based on that, but I don't know which when they fought that dragon. 
I think this would probably have to be after this all happened because the first Colossals were made by humans. Right. So I'm not sure. The Ret at this point are really consumed by the fact that their gods are all like not sure why they, they're not be, oh, the they, being so born with souls. They, they haven't found Cyrus yet, right? Uh, that might be correct. I'm not going to go digging for that yeah. in this tome of things right now. <laughs> um, the, it, the Orgoth- it also might be that the cannon was just, you know, like a cannon, not actually attached to anything. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, I yeah, I don't know. The Hyperion cannon was based on older technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they also tried to go into Crix, and this is one of the few times that Torek comes out and says, no, this is my place. And even the Orgoth could not stand against Torek. Which and those one? of you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's an immortal dragon the size of a mountain. <laughs> yeah, much. yeah. So for those of you that are like, it's, he's just a dragon. Like, dragons are killable. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Uh, if you're used to thinking about, like, Dungeons and Dragons dragons, which is honestly, and Smaug, which is honestly what we're mostly, like, trained to think about. So, like, Smaug is big. He's very big. His head is, like, eight, ten feet long, right? He's huge. Torek's claw is like 10 feet long no it's maybe even longer it's taller like from the floor to where it tops out on top of its curve than a human just his claw just his claw like there's one of my favorite pictures of like iron kingdom stuff that we've ever seen is one of the old 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 monster nomicons has a picture of Torek with a whole bunch of people around him and the people are just little lines on the floor and they are significantly smaller than his claws or his teeth or anything. Like, I think somebody did the math. Torek would fill like seven or eight war machine tables if he was to just be there. <laughs> so this is not actually a thing that is killable. And there's actually speculation that Torek isn't even from KN, like the whole world. He's he's an alien, but We'll go into that maybe some other time. <laughs> so the Orgoth come in, they, you know, conquer and enslave. So pretty what, much what made them so, so successful? Just that they were, do they have like infernal backing? I don't. Yeah, they did. Um, okay. The Orgoth. So first of all, they had uh, here. I'll read you some passages um, among the Orgoth were war witches. Uh, sirens that invoke green fire and cause the sky to rain blood that melted flesh. So that's that very Crixian. Yeah. Right? That Acid feels rain. like something that <laughs> Torek probably like stole that. Yeah. Um, well, we know that the modern War Witch Sirens were based on Orgoth magic. That is, that is accurate, yeah. Also, it's worth noting that at this point in time, magic in the Iron Kingdoms is very much restricted to the priests of Menoth and the priests of Morrow. And that's, right. that's it. Yeah, there wasn't even nothing spark. else. Nope, Spark was not a thing. Not even close. So they come in, and even like some magic... Wait, uh, there were druids, weren't there? uh, Yeah, but again, that's sort of like like priests of Dunya or priests of our worm, right? So all magic came from gods. From gods, yeah. And I'm I'm specifically talking about humans, because like the Orgoth came in and occupied the cities, and I'm pretty sure they just left the circle the heck alone. (laughs) <laughs> well, and Iosin magic is all technology based, so I'm sure they had that. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. Like, yeah, 
again, the Orgoth is a human problem for the most right. part. So we're yeah. focusing on the humans. Uh, they also had soul collection abilities. Um, and that's part of why they had rituals of killing people to like fuel their war engine. So it's not just that like you lose a city and so you lose a city. It's like you lose a city and the people in that city work for your opponent, like physically building stuff and their souls power, like insane, terrifying entities that you can't even begin to fight because you're immortal and you've never seen stuff like this it's not supposed to exist it's like i've got a short spear and an elephant shows up <laughs> yeah an elephant that can shoot like bazookas made out of like thunder Soul and blood magic. yeah yeah so okay so you know, so they were getting they would get every time they conquered a city they would become more entrenched it's like a right. zombie it was like a zombie invasion a bit, yeah. And I mean, even just like think about this from a morale perspective. How do you fight that? Well, I know how they did. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Uh, but interestingly, that happens like 400 years later, 500 years. Oh, later. yeah, because there's it's an occupation for a long there's time. An, it is an occupation. The other thing that you have to remember is that at this point in time, the Iron Kingdoms, which isn't really the Iron Kingdoms, I'm just calling it that, is like a thousand city states. They're not organized. They are not presenting a collective force. Um, consider Agincourt, right? Uh, that the famous French defeat there part of the reason that they lost is because they had like a whole bunch of different French noblemen with their private armies come in to try and fight the armies of the English forces and there was no chain of command there was no like overarching goal that anybody could enforce there was no like commander of the whole army and just think about like the inefficiency of that compared to a force that's unified under some intelligence that's directing it towards a goal well, and you want an even better example in history, look at uh, the formation of the German state. So basically over the course of like a year, they turned from a thousand squabbling um, cities into one superpower and it yeah. reshaped European politics like basically overnight. Yeah. So Orgoth Cummins, it does say it took about 200 years for them to take over everything. Okay. So yeah, so they didn't just like walk through the defenders. No. They some like some places held out for decades, apparently, which I think there's at least one city that never fell. Correct. We're about to, that's yeah. Caspia. OK, the city of walls, the city of walls. <laughs> so the city of walls then stands for 400 years all by <laughs> like, itself. That's, that's a long siege. <laughs> okay, That is a very long siege. Now, they you know, Caspia's got a lot of you know, internal farmland. It's, it, I yeah. believe it's got a port so they can get out and get stuff. So uh, but they have it's to block Rome, right? Yeah, I guess that's probably the closest comparison. Something like it. Because Rome was an enormous walled city that had yeah farms inside. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, eh. Um, there's a lot of like, really cool lore here there's like some folk heroes uh there's all kinds of things that go on well, i'm not gonna go with that ev every faction claims credit for defeating the orgon <laughs> uh yeah more or less and they all helped <laughs> which you know is the thing at some point in here uh thamar and morrow approach the uh the infernals that we all know and love so wait at, is this while they were still human no. This is after they died? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because they died hundreds of years before the Orgoth showed up. Oh, I didn't understand that. It, yeah, that, it was a big shock for me, too. I was like, wait a minute, really? No. So 
like looking at this timeline, hold on, I'm just going to go find this real fast because I can do that. So wait, so when Thamar was a human, she didn't have any magic? She did, actually. Okay. She went and created uh, a new magic language. Well, kind of, she she became like a druid, more or less. She went and like lived in the Thornwood and stuff. Um, so the twins were around in like 1894 BR, which is before we start counting at zero. <laughs> and what's the R stand for before the resistance? Maybe. I don't remember. I don't know exactly what. Um, the Orgoth invade in about 600 BR. And oh, wow. So over a thousand years after. Yeah. The so this is a very, very long time. And at some point in here, um, we're now we're, we're looking at like, I don't know, 200 BR, 150 BR ish. So we're looking at like a solid 1300 odd years between mm-hmm. when Thamara and Morrow lived and when they make the bargain with the Infernals. OK, Spoilers. which is really interesting because <laughs> one of the things that is mentioned in here repeatedly is that the gods did not show intervention when horrible things happened like uh, an example is cat uh the orgoth uh send a uh, a parlay offer to caspia mm-hmm. and so they send the hierarch of morrow and the hierarch of menoth to go meet with them and they capture them and decapitate them in front of the city and then let them bleed out and let the crows eat them in front of the city and nothing nothing bad happens to them like divinitively interesting. wise interesting i wonder wonder if it's because they were using human agents rather than the masters directly. It's possible. I don't know. But we do know now that at some point in here, Thamar and Morrow bargained two-thirds of humanity's souls 10,000 years in the future. Or 1,000 years. 10,000. It's 10,000, right? It's a long time. Well, I I thought they were coming to collect the souls now. Yeah, because the old witch made them come early. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, like they would be in much bigger problem when they were planning on coming because they're not at full force right now. Okay. Anyway, Thamara Morrow bargained with the Infernals that we know for the gift so, of magic okay. and humans. So so the Infernals we know and the Infernals for the Orgoth, you said they were different like factions, different like subsets? Yeah, different, different orders. Um, okay. Oh, that's right. Is... Like the order of the Nanokrian brand. Yeah, Nanokrians, I believe, are the Infernals we know. And I don't remember what the other ones are called, but that might be backwards. I'm, you know, I'm no lore expert. So they make this bargain. And um, at this point, part of the reason Orgoth is so dominant is because they have access to magic. And suddenly the gift is appearing in kids that are born. And so the first instance of this happens in 137 BR, a girl named Madruva Dagra, and she could throw fireballs out of her hands. And so that seems pretty good. And she killed a whole bunch of Orgoth people and escaped with her sisters. I just want to point out that I'm picturing Korra. How do you know Not she's sure. the Avatar? How do you know she's the Avatar? You know what? There were hints. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically what happened is at that point, they found her family and they killed every single one of them. They Orgoth did? Yes. Like yeah. all of her ancestry all of her siblings, all of their like cousins, everything for like multiple family rings out from her bloodline, they killed. See, I actually really appreciate that because I, I find that kind of thing a huge problem in fantasy. 
uh, novels and fiction is that they imply that like you can get magic powers or whatever through it's like inherited through bloodlines which mm-hmm. implies that it's like breeding like you can be bred which is like oh no i don't i don't like the consequences of that at all yeah and so they did this a whole bunch more times every single time somebody knew that popped up in their like slave camps that could do magic they just killed every single person associated with them mm-hmm. and Until someone popped up in castria and they couldn't touch well it. Yeah, but it also turns out that this wasn't actually genetic. It was just the Infernals sowing magic gifts into people. Right. Um, And it was interesting because it wasn't always manifested until later in life either. And so this is one of the fascinating things because the timeline of all of this is way bigger than I actually had realized. We're talking about a 400-year inhabitation. 400-year occupation. And then some number of lifetimes for people to figure out that like, the magic. So we've got an early genius named Sebastian Kerwin, and he um, basically set up a system of magic and study of magic and how to control it with runes, which is like, he's the one that started all of that. He also formulated uh, theories about how to unlock magical potential in people. And he wrote a lot of things about it. Uh, and it's, you know, a big big deal in the history of arcana and he was right about a lot of it. he was like he was kind of like einstein who's proposing these theories that he has no idea like he can't test and he can't possibly like see to fruition but as time goes on more and more of his things are proven correct mm-hmm. which is pretty cool um so that's you know that's an important step towards getting to warjacks because warjacks are controlled with magic basically yeah the okay, other so, part okay go ahead well i was gonna say so I know they refer to like the Warcaster spark as something like like uh, a subset of magic. So and they that one also they talk about how it comes in later in life. And yes. Yep. Well, uh, we'll get to that shortly. Yeah. Now, the other part of this is the Orgoths didn't really stop people from practicing alchemy because they didn't think it actually mattered all that much. And so there's actually like skilled alchemists throughout the whole occupation of things. And uh, at some point in here, uh, a number of alchemists rebelled and the Yorgoth killed a whole bunch of them and they split off. Uh, They were called the Circle of the Oath. And this is the um, this is the precursor to the Order of the Golden Crucible. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, is really important. So. We get to now to a number of rebellions against Orgoth. Uh, at one point, they like go into a city that they control, and they they're going to send eight thousand slaves back to the Orgoth homeland, and they do it by lottery. Except for their lottery happens to conveniently get every single priest of Morrow and every single priest of Menoth, <laughs> you know, randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the citizenry rise up and try to fight back, and they get slaughtered. And this happens a couple more times, um, like very much people get crushed. An important person comes into the picture at this point, uh, a a scholar named Nivara. She's another genius of um, this age. She's an arcanist. And she does something that's really interesting that I think you'll quite appreciate. She had these clockwork puzzles that were like, think like Rubik's Cubes on super steroids, Mm -hmm. that she would train her students with. That, like, you know, it teaches you logic sequencing. It teaches you, uh, like, problem solving and trying to move things in different ways. 
And um, it helped them to master the arcane runes and formula that they had to do because the symbolism, the, sim- the like the symbols on the ar- the clockwork were part of different kinds of spell combinations. Okay. And so like, this is gonna... teaching you to, that was teaching you to think with runes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so she had like a number, like a bunch of these things. She taught students. And interestingly, she ascended in 25 AR as a sign of Thamar. So it's possible that a Thamarite Archon could be her. Oh, cool. Yeah. Apparently, this was a really bad thing at the time. And it actually like caused a whole bunch of Arcanists to disown her. Um, because, because Thamar she... is considered like a horrible, terrible stain on the history of the world. Um, but, you know. And maybe maybe this would have gone faster if she wasn't vilified at the end of her life. I, uh, yeah, I like the idea that she was <laughs> she was perfectly okay throughout her whole life, and then Tamar's like, "Hey, you did great." <laughs> I was like, yeah. "What?" <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And uh, so at this point, we're at thirty AR. So we are now like seven hundred years ish after Orgoth lands, because yeah, like this is a, a massive timeline, and at about this point. The Order of the Golden Crucible invents blasting powder. And this is the second part of many that starts to turn the tide of the war. And the city of Laren, which is part of uh, Lael later down the line, um, builds riflemen in secret. And they repel a humongous 10,000 Orgothian, uh, 10,000 strong Orgothian army with magic grenades and just hundreds and hundreds of riflemen and at this point it's like all of the orgothian armor can't stop bullets turns out um and so everything's looking good and then we get the equivalent of the black plague yeah Uh, called the riplung Riplung. plague yeah and actually i really appreciate that it's not like okay it's been a long time warjacks right it's like this is kind of how history tends to go is like we start making progress we start making progress something terrible happens we're resetting a bit mm-hmm. right so yeah, it's only looking back that it becomes a smooth line upwards right absolutely and so at this point the you know there's there's resistance is breaking out the order of golden crucible has smuggled blasting powder plants to all kinds of people inside of the the old remnants of the thousand cities and uh, the next important thing that happened is they made uh, working together, the Order of the Golden Crucible and the Arcanists worked together and they were able to make a Arcodynamic Accumulator, which is basically a power source that, that you throw magic into and it powers things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's that's also the that's basis it. for Warcaster armor. It is the basis for Warcaster armor. And in, it, in developing it, they invented rune plates, oh, which sweet. is. Which is how you do magic items and which is how you do magic items in the Iron Kingdoms. Yep. Um, So additionally, they they found ancient at this point, like talking, you know, 800 years ago, uh, text from the age of clockwork renaissance about steam engines. And so they started reinventing the steam engine. (laughs) Which and again, I appreciate this because like one of the things that I was always kind of like about Iron Kingdoms lore is like, okay. They're civilizations. They've been around for thousands and thousands of years. And we're only at steam engines and a little bit past that now. And I'm like, okay, actually, if the wipeout of society and knowledge was this extreme. All right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, the Black Death set us back pretty far. Yeah. So, I mean, they had the Black what? Death. They had, 
like effectively all knowledge wiped out by an occupying force for almost a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things things happened. And so an arcanist named Niven uh, was playing around with um, the the clockwork puzzles that had been left behind by Navara. And he invented a rune plate powered machine thing that he wanted to see if he could get it to solve the puzzles. Oh, <laughs> and he did. And so then he went and worked with other arcanists and together they developed what we would, I guess, largely call a cortex, except for it sucked by comparison to modern cortexes. But it was this thing that could solve logic puzzles. Wait, and you're talking could... to a computer engineer, so I'm picturing, you know, the vacuum tube system. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it mentions that it's very, very big. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, they continue to work on that for a long time. And this is all people working in, working in a city called Serral. And at a certain point, the leaders in Caspia bring them to Caspia for their protection. Mm-hmm. And in Caspia, they've got these foundries for creating war weapons and things. And he's, you know, final, like, refining these ideas with this cortex, these automatons that he's been building with them. And he goes, you know what? I could make a huge one. And the Orgoth <laughs> don't have a way to take this out. Because the Orgoth are like foot soldiers and some like beast things and some magic, basically. And so the Council of Ten, who is like the ruling body over uh, Caspi, is like, you know what? Okay. And they spend a decade and change <laughs> making this happen. <laughs> Which, again, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's a probably the right timeline for something this huge. And they run into all kinds of problems. They don't have the raw materials because they're not on an, like a mining settlement. They're like on, you know, on the coast. They, they need rare materials, rare metals, and all kinds of interesting things. And it had to be done in secret. And so something really interesting happens here. One of the emissaries of Caspia, because they've been sending uh, uh, like messengers to rule for centuries at this point, saying, help us out. Help us out. For heaven's sake, please help us out. Yeah. And so the emissary decides to reveal the fact that they've got this technology that they're working on. And Rule goes, hey, tell you what, we'll trade you as much raw materials and some manufactured goods as you can possibly need in exchange for the formula for blasting powder and access to the schematics that you're working on for Colossals. And cortices, right? Uh, And cortices, yeah. Yeah. And... Because they, they end up with Warjacks. They do end up with Warjacks. And naturally, like, imagine you're in a situation where you're like, I, we, we have this great thing that we think can turn the tide. We just can't build it. And so naturally, they said yes. And so Rule starts sending them humongous quantities of metals, alloys, parts that they made. Um, and so well, and they secretly, start... that gets them in the war, right? Because you got to protect those shipments all the way to Caspia. <laughs> right. Yep. Absolutely. So I guess now, I guess I guess in this metaphor, rule is America, the breadbasket of the war. I mean, yeah. Also, at this point, so this is Caspia. There's Card, which is like the precursor to Cador, like the yeah. old old nobility. They find out about it and they start making their own like crucibles and um and forging facilities and things. And in two, like about two hundred AR, the Orgoth find them and they kill, like they blow up the foundries, capture all the alchemists torture the wizards to try and figure out what's going on and so um basically they immediately go 
Rule screwed us over or Caspia screwed us over. And this is like really in many ways the root of the Kador Signor conflict that we get way down the line. Mm-hmm. But after that, the alliance like scrambles and scrambles and scrambles. And three years later, the first Colossal comes out and five more come out in the next year. And so these ones are like are magically linked, the Cortex and the wizards that helped create them, the first like Cortex type thing. And they come out and they start crushing Orgoth. Like they don't have a way to stop these things. There's just, and I mean, this is fuel the that's, I don't even. <laughs> okay, so it does talk about that. Oh, really? It, it does. <laughs> so they have a really good success immediately around Caspia because like they can strike out quickly. They can have easy ways to resupply. Yeah. It takes decades <laughs> to take to get Caspia or to, uh, it says it takes 10 years, 10 years to get the Orgoth out. Mm-hmm. And part of this is because as soon as they get like far enough out, they the Orgoth start figuring out that it's easier to kill the wizard than it yeah. is to kill the Colossal and the ah, assassination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. Um, and then just the insane amount of coal water repairs stuff that is needed for the Colossals makes a supply chain nightmare. So what they end up doing is they end up putting a Colossal in front of a small army. And the army's only function is protect the wizard, resupply the Colossal. <laughs> this sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and so doing this, they're able to push the Orgoth out. And... It's very effective. And now here's the here's another interesting piece of information. At at some point, the Orgoth figure out that they are losing. And so they start raising every single thing written about them, made by them, captured by them to the ground. Leaving no trace of them. So. Leaving almost no trace. So some interesting things. Um, you know, they did the typical like poison wells, scorch the earth, kill all their slaves, blow up their cities. Well, we know but they, they left also, some swords behind. Yeah, I mean, they left some relics behind. They couldn't keep, like they couldn't get rid of all of them. But like, we have uh, the Iron Kingdoms has never found any, even partial map of where the Orgoth came from. Oh, so it's all like, based. It's all assumptions. It's all assumptions. They have never found a single thing written about their command structure. They've never found a single thing written about their goals or like what they wanted to do, and you know. That's part of why the Orgoth are so mysterious and nobody knows what they're all about. It's because they deliberately set out to never let them know what they, what was going to happen. Someone was just talking about a book called uh, There Is No Anti-Mimetics Division, which is about monsters where you can't remember them. Ooh. <laughs> That's, all right. Terrifying. <laughs> so... Ouch. All right. Um, that, that lands <laughs> right us in 201 that. AR, which is where the Orgoth get kicked out. And in 202 AR, the Corvus Treaties happen, and we get the division into the lands that we know. We get Signar in the south, we get Kador in the northwest, we get Lael in the northeast, and we get Ord in the west. And that's basically... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's well, that's the modern division. Yeah, because Protector Minoth split off from... Well, the Protectorate isn't a geographical thing until much later. Right. They're a religious institution. Yeah, they're part of Caspia. Caspia, they're part of many Cadoran cities. They're part of many Lely cities. They're like they're everywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, now it's interesting. Uh, at this point, the um, cards, who you know, the precursors to Cador, wanted much, much more of their territory, but they hadn't held it in like a thousand years at this point. <laughs> so all three of the other factions, were like, no, you get what we say, you get. 
So here's the next part that I thought was really interesting. I'm going to summarize very briefly. Um, the Kadorans, led by the ancestor of Vlad Cepeski, 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 however you freaking pronounce that. Depeche Mode? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, uh, but so they uh, infiltrate for the Fraternal Order of Arcanists and like have their agents steal a whole bunch of irreplaceable like cortex fabrications, uh, instructions, arcane formulas, spells, all those kind of things. And that's the foundation of the Grey Lord Order or the Grey Lord Covenant. Mm -hmm. And that, and then from that point on, it's like, oh, okay, we are now not friends. And the, the treaty start to erode. Interestingly, the next huge conflict, Trollkin and, and Signar. Um, the, the trolls in the Thornwood, yeah, yeah, rise up. And wait, wait. so are we the Iron Kingdoms now? What, what makes them the Iron Kingdoms? We are now the Iron Kingdoms. The, the Treaty of Corvus, the treaty, the Corvus Treaty is make them the Iron Kingdoms because, because of the Colossals. Uh, I, so they were called the Iron Alliance and they were called the Iron Alliance because it was based off of like some obscure, like lore thing in the far gone before the Orgoth days. Um, and so now they're, now they're the Iron Kingdoms. I didn't bother looking into this too hard because yeah, whatever we're talking about Warjacks. What's in the name? Yeah. What's in her name? <laughs> so Signar eventually has to like commit the Colossals, which they have not used at this point in hold on. 48 years, 46 years. The Colossals have not been used uh, in combat. It's pretty good to not use a weapon of mass destruction for 50 years. I got your own people. Yeah. So they send them out into the trolls and like crush them. But then they find out that uh, Kador is making their own Colossals. And so the king of Kador, you know, Vlad's ancestor, then sends out colossals against Ord, Lael, and um, eventually Caspia, and tries to get back all of the Cardic Empire, basically. Mm -hmm. And so Signar, Signar sends their colossals in, and the Signar colossals get absolutely destroyed because <laughs> the Cadoran colossals are modern with much better like technology, and the Signar colossals just get obliterated. And so the Signar and foundries go wild, like innovations happen as always does in war, and new um new colossals are made and this this conflict lasts for seven years and basically kador surrenders and they get their old things back and signar seeds the lands that they took back from them because they didn't want them anyways and at this point once again the trolls rise up and at this point in this battle um signar's king or in this this war signar's king goes you know what colossals are too expensive we've been starting to use like cruddy warjacks, like really cruddy warjacks to like do shipping and labor and stuff. Yeah, labor jacks. Make me make me warjacks. And so at that point, we start getting into the production of the modern warjack. And this is over the course of the next 20 odd years. Mm -hmm. Um, Kador goes through some pretty severe political upheavals. Vlad's ancestor gets ousted and dies. Um, and a more peaceful person comes in and then we just sort of get to that very like, like this is the history that everybody kind of knows, but the war checks don't change a whole lot, uh, in this time period. Um, basically it's mostly peaceful, right? Yeah, it's mostly peaceful and uh, they're like, there's border conflicts and things, but the war jack doesn't change a ton and that's going to stay pretty much consistent all the way up until, 
uh, like very close to where we are in the timeline now when Nemo starts screwing around with, um, you know, electrical well, power. And Convergence shows up. And, and Convergence shows up. Now, it's worth noting that the other parts of the world take note and start developing their own warjacks. So this, the primary warjack technology is used by Ord, or uh, Ord, Signar, Kador, and Lael, and then the Protectorate gets their warjacks from Kador, um, and then the mercenaries, obviously. The Rulik people take their warjacks in a completely different direction because they need them to do different things. Mining. And then <laughs> mining. Yeah, mostly mining. Well, and then So the, did they talk about how how Rule ended up with Warcasters? Uh, I, I thought Warcasters were a consequence of the gift. I it does not actually not in the not in the stuff that I've read, but that is a very good question that I'm actually quite interested in. Yeah, um, it does not uh, mention that because I thought I thought Iosin's scorn and Crick's kind of had like a workaround where like so Crick's... He, here's what I'm just going to guess. Yeah, the gift of magic and the gift are basically an infernal meddling in the, you know, the human blood or the human capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the Morrow and Thamar were not able to provide themselves because maybe they're not like the Elder Gods. Whereas Ios, Rule, and Crix have access to the Elder Gods. I didn't know Rule had access to their, god, their Rule, gods. Rule has one of the most ancient gods. Hold on. What is his name? He is... He happens, like, very long before. Um... Is he an is he like a Hephaestus equivalent? Uh, his name is Gore, and yeah, I guess so. Yeah, ish. Like he he makes things, right? Mm-hmm. And I assume he's just still living in a rule, <laughs> just happy. I, I, I don't know. Like <laughs> that is not spelled out here, but I yeah. assume that at some point, like the I mean, I, I think the thing is like other races had magic, humans did not. So okay. it's possible that the gift is a thing that just manifests as a result of being, you know, given magic. And if they already had magic, they developed it as part of their thing. So, I'm so also perfectly caster, willing. Go ahead. So the Warcaster spark doesn't actually have anything to do with the gift. Or it does. And all magic is similar. Mm-hmm. Like it all has a similar power source. And so the Warcaster spark manifests in different races. And even because of their magical ability, but not gobbers for some reason, but not gobbers. <laughs> I, I don't know I, why. I, it's so stupid. That I care for G just, certain races yeah yeah a little bit just just a touch um yeah so i assume that they just sort of have an equivalent now it's it makes a very important like it it makes a distinction here that the human warjack lines are all kind of semi-interchangeable although once the militaries of various things start doing their own things they no longer have like they have proprietary parts and proprietary things that go. Um, and then that Rulik jacks are even weirder and that Ios and jacks are even weirder than that. And nobody can get near Crix jacks because Crix jacks just kind of try and kill everything around them if they're not on a warcaster control, apparently. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm perfectly willing to believe that Iron Liches just sort of have some sort of weird soul magic that lets them control their warjacks. Oh, that, no, that's canonically true. Um, yeah. Oh, all right. There we go. Um Kind of like the necker instead of yeah, full. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 
Well, we're talking about how the Orgoth had soul magic. They did have soul magic, yeah. I think, well, and we also know that um, the Convergence Jax is based on that soul technology, too. Mm-hmm. That's at least in some way. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's kind of the history of the Warjack. I do want to talk a little bit about like, I'm not going to talk about the chassis of the Warjack. It's like, guys, it's a f- iron skeleton. Like we've all seen Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's an iron skeleton and you attach stuff to it. Um, I do want to talk some a little bit about some of them are left handed. <laughs> some of them are left handed, uh, which I think is more to do with their cortex than anything else, to be perfectly honest. Well, I thought it had more to do with the artist getting the image in the <laughs> Yes, it is. Um, there are some really interesting things, actually, about the skeleton that I just want to t- touch on. Um, so despite the fact that the technology level of the Iron Kingdoms is basically like industrial, like late, 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 late 1800s kind of deal, um, early 1900s, yeah. uh, we have, because of magic, the ability to put pretty advanced sensors into things um like haptic feedback to the cortex which makes sense because it wouldn't work otherwise well and they have logic engines they have pretty advanced computer science they do that's that's the cortex that that we're going to talk about um so basically the cortex is a sphere it's got lots of different metals and crystals and things in it and it's wrapped in rune like rune etched plates that are flexible so they have some kind of flexible metallurgy um that's like layered out and it also has sockets that connect to like the sensory the the reflex triggers the the power source and everything else and each cortex is a bit different from each other one um and well, and they grow and learn over time right they do so this is the this is uh it's basically yeah so this is this is all in the um ikrpg the old one um and it might be in the new one i haven't looked Mm -hmm. uh but the cortex is blank when it's created but it has an incredible capacity for imprinting and learning behaviors um one of my favorite explicitly based on human intelligence um not really here's the analogy that it gives Uh, it says jack marshalls all know that a new steam jack is as naive and loyal as a newborn puppy (laughs) uh the massive constructs loyally follow their handler everywhere if not ordered to sit or stay which is interesting. They also have to train their warjacks to tread softly, not step on anyone, and behave. And it takes a while. Oh, there's no uh, three laws of robotics. Uh, apparently not. Well, it's not very useful and something you want to use to kill other humans. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, but it says they show uncanny signs of sentience, often taking the initiative to protect their handlers or anticipate their handlers' needs and reactions to things. Um, which I think is interesting. Uh, they also uh, have a like an entire section on here about cortex wipes. Oh, so which the more I, the reading over it like is heartbreaking uh, yeah. in, in a way. So you know they um, and of course they're not going to tell us exactly how it works because it's all magic effectively, but. <laughs> They use complex arcane techniques to simulate a living mind, and they pick up information from their environment over time, and experienced warjacks become better at what they do, um, but also develop unexpected quirks and habits. Now, this is actually something really interesting to me because it talks about being able to put a cortex into a similar warjacks chassis and not have any loss of basically anything, which means that you're if you're killing, like if you're taking down warjacks, a priority should be blowing up the cortex because if you don't that warjack is just going to remember everything that just happened to it and you're you know it's going to get installed in a new warjack and that warjack is going to be even better at what it does Mm -hmm. right 
This actually makes me a little less annoyed at the prevalence of Matt seven in Warjacks in the game <laughs> compared to Matt six of War Beasts, because it would make sense to me that a Warjack Cortex that has seen hundreds of hours of battle. Yeah, on average would be good at killing stuff, <laughs> right? It makes wow. me resent fluff, that a little less. Fluff justifies rules. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if it makes other people feel better, but it certainly made me feel better. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can live sure, with I can live with that. Yeah, it's like not, it's not just that they hate living models, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as a result of that, Warjack cortexes don't get wiped very often. Like Warcasters don't want you to do that. They will freak out if the suggestion is made, uh, especially if they've been training them for a long time, because combat is really hard to teach, apparently. So, you know, who would have guessed? Um, but it's pretty common for labor jacks like every 10, 20 years, um, because otherwise they develop weird quirks that makes them really hard to work with for jack marshals. Actually, I have a board game like that where you're you're uh, running a dystopia, and <laughs> if you use a worker too much, they'll they'll realize they're in a dystopia and run away. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, so it's the same idea. Interesting. Wait, I'm a sentient yeah. being. What am I doing here? Right. The other th the other thing that it says is cortexes for military warjacks are wiped if they have to go into a completely different chassis. Which is very interesting because the idea of being able to take a Cortex and put it into a completely different chassis had not occurred to me. That's so also, That's also why the game emphasizes chassis so much. Yeah. Yeah, because the chassis are all similar. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, yeah, so like that's really interesting. And actually, like if you if you think back to the fluff episode we did on Kane. Ace gets blown up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought but, Ace also got wiped a bunch and still remembered Kane. Ah, so uh, I don't. I don't. I think that was Rowdy and Striker. Oh, okay. Okay. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I, I Ace. remember hearing a story about yeah, Warjack getting wiped. Yeah. Either way, Ace gets blown up a bunch. Like Kane uses Ace as a shield all the time. All the time. <laughs> and and he keeps recovering the Cortex, and they keep putting it in like the the hybrid special Spec Ops Warjack chassis that Ace is. Um, and you know, it's, that's a really interesting thing because yeah, if they're sentient things, it's inhumane. Like it's really inhumane, mm -hmm. uh, for them to keep getting them killed. But if like they don't experience pain and so if they're just able to keep, you know, building them a new body, that's actually a huge resource. Yeah. Cause I have experience. Yep. So uh, it also says um, that high grade military cortexes, which, by the way, cortexes come in multiple grades of complexity, which well, yeah, like Kator isn't very good at making them. Kator can't really make them. They, they get them secondhand a lot of the time. Oh, and the Berserker ones are just like super... the Berserker ones are ancient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but apparently, like they can adjust to different weapons like pretty darn easily which makes sense because the chassis are all like, you know, but that's why they have hands, right? Yeah. Because you can just hand it a different weapon or hand it a different gun or like welded it, like bolt a new gun onto its, onto its arm. Mm -hmm. It's why like the defender, the ironclad 
uh, can coexist so easily because it's just like, okay, I have the same hammer. Now I just have a gun. Woo. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is pretty cool. And then, yeah, there's like a ton of weapons and everybody's seen a million of them because we play the game. Yeah. But. And you 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 made a uh, <laughs> game where you could design your own. Oh, no, the Warjacks. We're getting there. Oh, yeah. We're getting there. <laughs> Not right now, but we'll get there. Um, yeah. So that's just kind of like, you know, an overview of how we got Warjacks, um, what they are, and, you know, some of the lore behind them. I think having now delved into that a bit, I actually appreciate the history of the Iron Kingdoms a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes a lot more sense to me. Like a lot, of, a lot of it, I was just like, eh, before like really like reading into the timeline and everything. But the series of catastrophes, the in, hostile invasion and and you know occupation, the the it number does, of times technology really was set. Yeah, it does a really good job of imitating Western history without just following it directly or being like right. like like saying this is france and this is russia or whatever right absolutely and it does a really good job of accurately portraying how long it takes something to happen um <laughs> or or how like it can take you know hundreds and hundreds of years of no progress and then suddenly it spikes up yeah absolutely both of those things can happen and it does it in a fairly logical way mm-hmm. so even though a war jack is at least for us, an extraordinarily impractical thing. And the re- <laughs> reason we're only getting around to things like that now, um, you know, with a little magic to make sensors actually happen, like, sure. As a, as a computer engineer, I can tell you that sensors are impossible. Like, you don't understand how difficult it is to under to interpret the world around us and understand language like those two tasks are impossible for computers yep oh and even even if you can get it right like i remember i was i was listening to this guy lecturing on talking about um you know automated sensors and things um there was like a rocket that was launched that had a sensor open that should have been closed at launch and because the it wasn't designed to be open while like on while the rocket was in flight, it only had 16 bits assigned to its memory for when it was getting information in. And it got a 32 bit um, number in that it needed to process. So it put the other 16 bits on the sensor next to it, which happened to control the engine. Oh, and so the rocket or no, it, can, it it controlled the sensor that told it whether or not it was level. And so the rocket thought it was off, uh, it wasn't level, so it corrected, and then it spiraled out of control and exploded. Yeah. So if ma- if magic would just let you get around the fact that we have to deal with, you know, assembly code at the base <laughs> of everything we do, that would be so much better. I Although I do love the interpretation of wizards as, like, um, irritated IT professionals. Like, no, I don't fucking know how the fireball's fireball spell works we've used it for a hundred years don't don't mess with it (laughs) yeah pretty much um yeah absolutely anyway uh i'm gonna actually look into that rulic warcaster question because i'm curious now um because because we know the scorn workaround i think i understand the iosin and crick's workaround but i'm not rule yeah i thought they were just classic warcasters no Probably not. Well, maybe maybe they are, but probably not. Well, I like your theory that 
Hephaestus is just hanging out in rule. <laughs> yes. And they're like, hey, we need to control these robots. He's like, I can figure that out. <laughs> I can figure that out. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, wow, we got a whole hour out of that. Look at us go. <laughs> It was a good so, episode. So there, were, there was a patron suggested that I just do a monthly Iron Kingdoms book <laughs> book club. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they enjoyed <laughs> me. They enjoyed me not enjoying chain <laughs> <Kane> books. <laughs> I mean, I'd be super down to talk about some of those books. I'd love an excuse to reread Into the Storm and Into the Wild. Those ones are fun. Let's see, but those are the good ones. That's I'm true. Talking about, I'm talking about like the Haley Three book. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe maybe so. I don't um, know. Well, so it is kind of mean, and I like the people who write those books. Yeah. Mm. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> anyway, we want to thank everybody who supports us on Patreon. Thank you for this topic. Uh, it was a lot more fun than I was expecting it to be, and I'm glad we did it. Um, if you want to check that out, it's just our tip drawer. We've got nothing hidden behind it uh, except for like a channel on our Discord where you can chat with us and you know in smaller numbers. That's, um, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, and suggest things and make Chandler and I sing. Um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/LOSWarMachine and you can you know support us there. Um, we'd also like to thank our sponsors, which are FigurePainters.com, makers of uh, incredible Rocket Trail bases, uh, other bases. Uh, busts, tutorials, all kinds of things. And Broken Egg Games, maker of fancy tokens and f- terrain. Uh, if you use the code LOS5CODE on their web store, you'll get 5% off your purchase. Uh, we also want to uh, invite you guys to contact us via a variety of platforms. You can find Chandler on Twitter at LOS underscore Chandler. You can contact us at uh, LOSWarmHordes at gmail.com. Just shoot us an email. We'll get that. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is Line of Sight. You can also message us individually. You can join our Discord, which I highly recommend you do. If you're a new player and you want to be part of our Discord, we've got a special channel just for you called the Mentoring Channel. I added two more mentors today because we only had like, I wanted to keep it at like at least one mentor for each 10 new players, and we broke through that a lot. So I'm still looking for some more. But uh, please, you know, join the join the Discord, post in the new player or the newcomers channel, and request to be added to the mentoring channel. We'll get you right in there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's. Am I missing any of our stuff? I don't think I am. No, probably not. Mm, no, uh, cool. Chandler's job. Yeah. I'm sure I forgot something. Anyway, this is episode 176. Uh, We hope you guys enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun making it. And we'll see you next week. Bye.